You know, this morning I'm talking about the taboo stuff, the taboo series, and I'm going to deal with human sexuality and how God cares for human sexuality. God cares about it. Maybe you think God doesn't care about it, but God cares about it. He created your body, and He cares about human sexuality. And I wanted to come to you by video and preach this sermon because it's a sensitive subject, and I knew I was traveling today, so I want to come to you by video. And some Maybe some of you have never seen it like this before, but I'm telling you, God gets a lot of mileage out of the things He says through print and video. Just think about the Bible. The Bible was written, you know, New Testament over 2,000 years ago as circular letters to be distributed and read among the churches, and God's still getting mileage out of that and will throughout eternity. So God can use video, He can use live stream, He can use online, He can use all that for His glory. So that's why I'm doing it this way. So I'm going to talk about human sexuality, and I want to go back to the first sermon I preached in this series when I opened up Romans chapter 1 and began to read, so I'm going to revisit that. Romans chapter 1 and verse 26, the Bible says, For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use what is against nature, and likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their era, which was due. And so when I think about this, Paul is talking about how mankind turned from God and rejected the truth of God. And then, because of that, he turned to idolatry, and then God gave him over to the things he was pursuing, which was vile passions and all kinds of immorality. All kinds of immorality. But often the church avoids this issue of human sexuality because... I think it's, it's, it's sensitive to talk about. And I think the church comes in one of two ways about it. Number one, you, have, you feel like you have to accept everything. Or number two, you feel like you have to alienate people who are involved in sexual immorality. And so it's this acceptance or alienation. I think there's a third alternative, and I think that's the Bible way. That we should just preach the gospel. And I'm stepping back from politics I'm stepping back from Democrat, Republican, Independent, and I just want to preach Scripture here and see what the Bible says. And I'm doing this for three reasons. First of all, I want our young folks in our church to understand what the Bible says about human sexuality. I want them to understand what the Bible says because they're going to get informed in public school, from television, from social media. They're getting an, a, a tidal wave of education on human sexuality. And if the family is not teaching it within the context of a Christian community, if the family is not teaching it, then our kids are left completely to the secular world for their information about human sexuality. And I don't have to even preach this. You know that's not the best alternative. The best option is that we take this subject back and that we teach biblical values with a reason, rationale, compassion and love and we teach it to the young folks growing up in our churches so they'll have be armed with the truth because you can't be free without truth Jesus said you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free so that's why we are sensitive with this issue but we're preaching truth the second reason I want to preach this is I want our church to be a church of compassion a church of love a church of grace and a church of mercy 
a church that welcomes people who are broken sexually and that we welcome them in and we provide a context where they can be healed, they can be loved, they can be ministered to, they can be cared for. And I think that sometimes the church takes a judgmental stance toward these things and, and we don't realize what we're doing sometimes and how we need to be compassionate and loving about it. And then finally, I want to reach out to anyone in the, uh, in the gay community, in the LGBTQ community, and I want to tell you we love you and there's hope for you. And I know some will be offended by my message today. I already know that. But I'm telling you, God's truth is able to minister to you. He's able to heal you, bless you, and minister to you right where you are today. So those who are seeking an answer and seeking for truth, I want to be able to preach it to you today. Come on, church. Can we say amen this morning? Hallelujah. You know, we live in a sex-saturated culture. I mean, just absolutely saturated from TikTok to Instagram to, uh, to all, all, Twitter to all across the board. Uh, Pornography is easier than ever to get your hands on. Uh, TV shows are just rife with sexuality. And now it's, it's all kinds of sexuality. It's all kinds of options. And it's really an interesting time to be raising children. You know, a few years ago, I visited a city in America which is considered one of the uh, most welcoming cities to the LGBT community in America. And it was obvious when I got there. I mean, I, I, all I had to do was walk down the street and I could tell I was in a town that was very gay friendly. And uh, what shocked me though was what happened to me. Is As I walked the streets of that city, there was a great compassion that rose up in my heart. A great compassion rose up in my heart, and I just, I, I just found myself wondering, what would it be like to pastor in this city? What would it be like to pastor in this context? And I don't know. I just was moved with compassion and love for these people being in that city. So it's no, it's no time for the church to be silent on this issue, and it's no time for the church to be unbending and un uh, or just totally judgmental on the issue is the word I'm looking for. J.D. Greer, who pastors in uh, Central North Carolina, said that the narrative in our culture pushes us to affirm or alienate. We must affirm the gay lifestyle or totally, totally alienate ourselves from the gay community. And Greer said the answer really is the gospel. And here's what he says. I think it's powerful. To hold out God's truth and God's love. To hold out God's truth and God's love, not having to choose between the two. Because truth without grace is fundamentalism. But grace without truth is sentimentality. So failing in either part puts us out of step with Jesus. So as a church, we should be known not only for our unflinching commitment to truth, but also for our excessive love to our neighbor. So we must not only speak the truth of Christ, we must do so with the spirit of Christ. And the question is going to be asked today, I know, why single out this issue rather than many other issues you could talk about from the Scripture? The reason I'm singling it out is because of where I see society heading. The reason our society has become so extremely sensitive to this issue is that if anyone speaks against it, he's maligned or canceled. 
But I'm a preacher of the gospel. And I'm far from perfect. Lord knows that. But I know that truth has to be spoken before freedom can come. And so that's what I'm going to do my level best to do today. I recently preached in a church in central Tennessee. And the pastor is a few years younger than I am. And we had lunch the following day. And he's seeing great success in his church, great growth in his church. Many lost people coming in and being saved. It's, it's a really remarkable context. But when we sat down the next day, he shared a statistic with me that I hadn't read, but I hadn't researched on it, but it really shook me. He said right now Gen Z, which is the younger generation, he said Gen Z claims that 24% of Gen Zers identify as LGBTQ. 24% of them identify as LGBTQ. So that's roughly one out of four walking down the street are identifying as LGBTQ. And I remember when the Supreme Court legalized uh, same-sex marriage in America. I remember, I was living in Washington, D.C. then, and I remember the response to that. And I, I thought to myself when that happened, I said, we're going to see an increase in people identifying with that lifestyle, not just because they're coming out of the closet, but now because it's legal and it's going to have an acceptance across the board. And that's what we're seeing in high schools and what we're seeing in middle schools now in our area because we have youth workers going into these high schools and middle schools and we're hearing the stories now that sometimes it's just a popular thing to be identified as LGBTQ. So I want to come to you with what the Bible teaches us about it. And let's let the Bible speak for itself. And I'm going to preach some grace and love, so don't, don't cancel me yet and turn me off. Listen to what I have to say. I'm going to preach some grace and love to you. And I believe that we're going to end with freedom at the end of this thing. First of all, we got to know that God cares about our sexuality. The Bible teaches us that God cares about it. Dr. James Cofield said, we live in a society where sex is everything and sex is nothing. It's become such a thing that we've drained all true spiritual meaning out of it. And that's the sad part because God cares about our sexuality. If you don't believe me, just read the book of the Song of Solomon. I taught on this book a few months ago on Wednesday nights, and I'm like, how am I going to get to this? I'm like blushing reading the book because if you really dig into it and, and understand the idioms and the culture of the day, you'll really see that these guys are like celebrating the passionate sexual relationship between each other as they're approaching marriage. And if you listen to my teaching on it, I believe there is a marriage setting there and they go into marriage and nonetheless it's this celebration of human sexuality because God created man and woman. It's really a glorification of the sexual union between a man and woman. We are sexual by design. God designed us that way. If God didn't like it, then why did He create us that way? But it's such a powerful thing in the human person that God has set boundaries for. He cares about it, and because He cares about it, He set boundaries for it. Someone said, sex is like the fireplace in your house. That as long as the coals stay in the fireplace within their boundaries, it provides warmth to the house. It's, it's a life-giving thing. But when those coals pop out or are pulled out, it can burn a house down. 
And that's exactly like the power of human sexuality. The Bible teaches us that human sexuality is to be between one man and one woman. The Bible teaches us human sexuality is to be between one man and one woman. Any other deviation of that is condemned in Scripture. Any deviation of that is condemned in Scripture. Now let me go one step further. The Bible teaches us that human sexuality is to be between one man and one woman within the context of marriage. Anything outside of that is condemned in Scripture. That human sexuality is to be between one man and one woman in the marriage union. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus answered them. And He said, Have you not read that He who made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but they're one. Therefore what God has joined together, let no man separate. So sex outside of marriage becomes a Pandora's box that we open up. And it can produce hurt and abandonment diseases, pregnancies without the proper family context, guilt, memories that remain for the rest of your life. And these are just some of the consequences. So God instituted boundaries by law. And you know, Israel rejoiced at the law of God. Law in Hebrew is Torah. And God gave them His Torah and the Israelites rejoiced at it. They didn't look at the law is a downer like, oh my gosh, a bunch of rules we got to go by. No, they rejoiced at the giving of the law. If you go to a Jewish synagogue today, one of the highest moments of the service is when they carry in the Torah, the law of God. Because it was given to them out of the grace and mercy of God to keep them from damaging themselves and damaging other people. So God knew that this powerful gift He had given to human beings needed to be kept within certain boundaries. Outside of marriage, you don't have the freedom. You don't have the freedom. And, and, you, and you carry guilt and you carry shame. Sexual brokenness and sexual sin carry shame like nothing else I know. And so therefore, God wants you to be able to celebrate that without guilt, without shame, without reserve. And that's why He gave us Boundaries, one man, one woman within the context of marriage. Why? Because marriage brings a commitment. It's a commitment. I mean, in Scripture, when you got engaged and betrothed to someone, it was a serious commitment. In some cultures in the world today, when you're engaged, all the families come together. They all sign documents, and it's like, this is a done deal, and now it's like a betrothal, which leads to a marriage, which means commitment, and it means the giving of yourself, the giving of your sustenance and your finances and your time and your energy and your commitment to say, I'm with you forever. So when we do enter into a sexual relationship, there's some backing to it, there's some there's some goods laid out on the table. There's blood and flesh and everything is in the game when you're married. Recently, I know some of the uh, divorce statistics went down in America and some people said the reason it did was because less people are getting married. And it was kind of sad to me. It's kind of like an end around what's supposed to be happening. We're supposed to be 
I love it when I see couples getting married. I love to counsel, counsel couples. I love to marry couples. I've performed a lot of weddings in my life, and I just I always tell the couple, marriage is good. It's a good thing, man. Don't let the world tell you anything different. Don't let some people who've had a bad experience dampen your experience because it's going to be great for you if you determine it's going to be great. Let the Lord be the center of your marriage. Let Him be the rock that you build your marriage on. And within that boundary, God's going to bless you. Because the Bible said, He who finds a wife finds a good thing, and God adds favor to him. Listen, he who finds a wife finds a good thing, and God adds favor to that man's life or that couple's life. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, some couples better be shouting in here this morning. Hallelujah. Or you better be at least nudging your spouse. So outside of marriage, you don't have the freedom. You don't, you're in dangerous territory. You're in dangerous territory. My dad was a coal miner for many years and ran coal operations. And, and in a coal mines, when you tunnel in, the, the, whether you're doing it by a conventional powder and, and, and shooting dynamite, or you're doing it through a, a continuous miner with a ripper head. And when the, let's just say a miner goes in and that, that machine is designed while the operator stands way back and that machine is designed to go in and he's running it by remote control. Because that machine's going under unprotected roof. When that machine is pulled out after it mined a section, they send in roof bolting machines to secure the top. And the law is nobody's supposed to walk out under unpinned roof because that's where a lot of accidents happen because you're getting out of a protected boundary. Man, you can tell I'm raising Appalachian Mountains. Hallelujah. So one, when we, I'm, and I'm relating, I've never thought about this as, as relating to sex, but we want to be under protected roof. We want to be under pinned top. We want to be in a safe place when we enter in to those kind of relationships. Come on, somebody shout amen this morning. Give me some love out there. Hallelujah. All the way up in Maine. So, no, God cares about our sexuality. And the boundary is one man, one woman in the context of marriage. Sex isn't just physical. It's spiritual. I, don't, I know we are body, soul, and spirit. But sometimes we make so much of that distinction that we separate out the holistic person that God created. We are holistic people, body, soul, and spirit. And when you enter into a relationship physically, you may not realize it, but your spirit man, your soul is entering into that relationship. Notice what Paul said in 1 Corinthians. He said, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot or prostitute? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he's joined to a harlot or a prostitute is one body with her? He is one body with her. Paul knew the power of this sexual union and that if you're linking with someone, you're linking. That's why you need to be careful who you marry. When you marry, Paul said, be equally yoked. I know he wasn't talking about marriage, but we're going to use it for that. When you're married, be equally yoked in Christ. He did talk about he who uh, uh, goes through you know, a separation can marry again under certain circumstances in Christ, he said. So you need to make sure you're marrying someone who has the same spiritual union with God that you have. Oh, come on, somebody. So sex isn't just physical. It's a spiritual connection. That's why you develop soul ties. 
That's why you develop soul ties. And I'm telling you, if you're coming into a marriage union and you've had a promiscuous background, you better be go to prayer and break those soul ties off before you go into marriage. So God cares about our sexuality. The second thing I want to say about it today is homosexuality, according to the Bible, is outside God's boundaries. Homosexuality, according to the Bible, is outside God's boundaries. I opened up with Romans chapter 1, and basically what he says here is that the issue is that people stopped worshiping God and they turned to idols. And then God gave them up to their passions. And then he has a laundry list of passions that these people went into. I mean, I think he hits all of us in that, okay? He hits about all of us in that. He says in verse 29, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undeserved, on and on and on. He just hits just about everybody. But I do think it's interesting that he points out homosexuality first and in more of an in-depth manner. He hits it first and more of an in-depth manner. So what Paul does is he doesn't just deny it, nor does he elevate it as the chief sin above all. So we should be careful as a church in calling homosexuality out without mentioning other sins. Without, you know, so... But my point is the Bible nowhere says that the act of homosexuality is somehow born within people. It's always a choice. It's always a choice and it's always the result of the fallen human nature. The problem isn't homosexuality. The problem is who is the Lord of your life. The problem isn't fornication. The problem is who is the Lord of your life. The problem isn't greed, maliciousness, Envy. The problem is who is the Lord of your life? And who are you putting on the throne seat of your life? Genesis 19, Paul con- uh, the, the, the God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah over all of their evil. The only one we see highlighted in Scripture is that men were lusting after men. Leviticus chapter 18 verse 22, You shall not lie with a man as with a woman. It's an abomination. Leviticus 20.13, if a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. We don't do that anymore, right? But that's Old Testament law. Their blood shall be upon them. 1 Timothy 1.10, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, sodomites, kidnappers, for liars, perjurers, and if there's anything uh, uh, that is contrary to sound doctrine. So Paul identifies those as ungodly and sinners. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, nor homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And yes, I could preach on every one of those sins, but I'm just making a point. It's always a choice. It's always an act. And it's outside God's boundaries for sexuality. Listen to me, the Spirit of grace, please. Third thing I want to say about it is God offers healing for all who are sexually broken. God offers healing for, I mean, 
how many people in this congregation today, I don't know, I don't know all your backgrounds, but how many people are coming with brokenness in their background in sexual terms from whatever, maybe, maybe same-sex attraction, maybe you've come out of that, maybe you've had a brokenness, broken marriage that was terrible for you, or maybe you're coming out of some other kind of experience. I just want to say God loves you, and God has complete healing for you. He has complete healing for you. Sexual sins bring a truckload of shame with them. So I have a solution for you today. For all the shame, all the guilt, all the issues. Somebody says, well, Hans, you're talking about same-sex attraction. Well, if, if, if I have this feeling, then why do I have this feeling? Was I not born with this feeling? Come back next week and we'll talk about this. I just want to say a bit about it now. And I'm, I'm not trying to simplify it, and I'm not trying to just sweep it under the rug. And, 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 but I'm telling you, humankind was born in sin. And we all will have feelings at times for certain things. I heard one very famous preacher in America, he was asked, are homosexuals born this way? He was asked that on the Larry King live show. If some of y'all remember Larry King back in the day. And he, his response was this. He said, well, Larry, I was born to look at every woman that walked up and down the street. Because I think women look nice, but I don't act on that urge. Because just because I was born like that, I don't act on that. I'm married, and I keep it within the bonds of marriage. So God has healing for brokenness. How, what is the healing steps? I'm going to give you one step. Y'all with me? We'll give you one step for healing today. It's David Wilkerson's step. Someone that was a Teen Challenge worker years ago talked to me, and they said, you know, we were talking about 12-step programs, which they were in favor of, and, and different things. And he said, but you know, if you get back to it, David Wilkerson had a one-step program for freedom. Jesus. One step, Jesus. So today I'm telling you, it's really an issue in my life, in your life, in everyone listening to me today. It's an issue of who is the Lord of your life? Who are you submitting your life to? I'm telling you, there's only one person that you can submit your life to and find total and complete freedom, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. When you submit your life to Him, He brings a truckload of freedom. He brings a megaton of joy. He brings life and life more abundantly. He brings happiness and restoration. He can wash away all the past. You'll still have scars. You'll still have some emotional things that you'll remember. You'll still have scenes in your mind you'll remember. But I'm telling you, He can come and wash away the guilt and wash away the sin and wash away all of that stuff of your past. And somebody says, no, no, once you go that way, you can never come back. That's, that's, that's ridiculous. Because we only hear about people going one way, never coming back. If you can go one way, why can't you come back the other way? God can give you the grace and give you the, 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 the healing you need to come back and come into His boundaries that He set. Let me just share some stuff with you, okay? How, how does Jesus heal or how did Jesus handle the sexually broken? Did you know Jesus encountered people who were sexually broken themselves? First of all, the Bible says in John chapter 4, He goes and meets a woman at the well. We don't know this until we get on in the text but this woman at the well had had multiple husbands. And could you imagine 
how embarrassing that was in the ancient times. I mean, for her as an ancient woman, could you imagine that? But he shows up at the well, and the Bible says, a woman of Samaria, John chapter 4, came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that says to you, Give me a drink, you would have, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. First of all, Jesus went to a place where Jews were not liked. He crossed into their world. Secondly of all, he's having an open conversation with a woman who has had a broken background. And he goes to her and he asks her for a drink. This is how the church should be. We come out of our shell and we reach out to those who are broken. And then he says this, and it is so profound. He says, if you knew the gift of God, And if you knew who it was who was asking you this, you'd be asking me for living water. Why? Because the gospel is a gift. It's a gift. You can't earn it. You can't pay for it. You can't work hard enough for it. Some of you think there's no way out of the broken situation you're in right now because you don't know how to get out. You don't know. You think you can't do enough good works and I don't know how to work hard enough. Honey, you don't have to. You just have to open up your heart and receive the gift. Come on, just open up your heart and receive the gift that God wants to love you and God wants to bless you and God wants to heal every wound in your heart. And then if you know the story, Jesus goes on and reads this woman's mail. He reads her mail, I mean, gift of knowledge working in perfection. He reads her mail and she goes off glorifying and shouting that God, she's met the Savior and He's come and she goes back and tells everybody in her town about it. That's how He handled a sexually broken woman. If you turn on over in the book of John to chapter 8, there's even a more egregious sin that was committed here. In, in chapter 8 of the book of John, there's a woman who's been caught in adultery, sexually broken, caught red-handed. Shame! Sh- could you imagine the shame in a Jewish, Jewish community of being caught in the act of adultery? And then you've got the religious people gathering around ready to to bring down judgment on you. And they bring the scribes and Pharisees, two of the religious groups, brought this woman to Jesus. And you know how it feels sometimes with peer pressure with religious people. Now what are you going to do, son? And they brought this woman to Jesus and evidently laid her at his feet. They set her in the midst, the Bible says. And they said, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. What do you say? And they said this, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he didn't hear them. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone first. You you begin the execution now. He who is without sin. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience 
went one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those who accuse you? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. How did Jesus handle the, the sexually broken? He stood up, confronted the accusers, stooped down and knew what would happen, and then forgave her. Now, he didn't say, go do what you've been doing, honey, it's okay. No, he didn't say that. He said, go sin no more, but I forgive you. Boom, done. Neither do I condemn you. Done. I'm telling you what, church, this teaches me two things. Number one, if you're broken, if you're sexually broken, think of yourself as that woman laying at the feet of Jesus this morning. And he's going to look and he's going to say, neither do I condemn you. You're free. Now, don't, don't do it anymore, but you're free. Go. Go, you're free. Number two, let, how, about, how about we put our, ourselves in the shoes of the Pharisees and scribes that day? We're sitting here condemning people but yet sometimes when we're condemning someone, we're ignoring the own sin or rebellion or disobedience in our own heart. Because I always heard when you point a finger at somebody, you got, you got at least three or four pointing back at you. If you live in a glass house, you better not throw rocks. Oh, hallelujah. The woman at the well, he, he went to her, stepped into her context, and ministered to her in the Spirit. The woman caught in adultery, he condemned no longer and really stood up against her accusers. Final one, there's a lady in Luke chapter 7 who we believe by the wording, scholars believe she was a prostitute. Now I want you to notice this, this is, this is so powerful. Luke chapter 7 and verse 38. The Bible says, then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went down to the Pharisee's house. And sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner. A woman who was a sinner. Scholars believe she was a prostitute. When she knew that Jesus sat at the table at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of oil. An alabaster flask of fragrant oil. And stood at his feet behind, behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with tears. And wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, wouldn't know who and what manner this is, a woman this is, who is touching him, for she's a sinner. And Jesus answered and said, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. He said, There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50, and when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said, you've rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, Simon, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. 
And you didn't anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my head and my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he looks at her and he says to her, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. In another gospel it talks about how this lady will be remembered throughout the ages for her act. And let me tell you something, what happened to that sexually broken woman? She came in and threw herself at the feet of Jesus, gave this expensive alabaster box of oil and cracked it open. And then it's very likely that that fragrance stayed on Jesus when He went to dinner that night with the apostles, when He went to the judgment hall of Caiaphas the high priest and even to Herod. And maybe it was still on His body when he marched all the way to the cross. And maybe he was thinking, I'm doing this for all of humanity, but I can smell the fragrance of that sexually broken woman. And I'm remembering her as I'm going all the way. And if for nothing else, I'm going to make it all the way to the cross for that woman, because for her healing and for her forgiveness forever. Come on somebody. If you need forgiveness, there's one man that can forgive you every sin. There's one man that can heal all the brokenness in your heart. There's one man and his name is Jesus. Hallelujah for God was manifested among men, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles and received up into glory and his name was Jesus. He is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He is the Prince of Peace and the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. No one else can forgive your sin but Jesus. Jesus alone. He is given a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus Christ every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. He can forgive you of any sin. Don't think you've gone too far. Don't think you're too far from shore that He can't find you and bring you back home. Don't think you've gone too deep in the depths that God can't reach out His hand like He did to Peter and pick Him up out of the water and save Him. Don't think that you've committed such an awful or egregious sin that God can't forgive and wash the slate clean there's healing, there's forgiveness there's love, there's acceptance there's a washing away of guilt and shame, come on somebody give the Lord a shout in here this morning put your hands together and give him praise hallelujah, hallelujah hallelujah, hallelujah only one can bring that type of healing and it's the man Jesus Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I have a dear friend, and many of y'all know my friend Kent Christmas, and you know the story. He's been criticized by this story. But he had a son named Joshua who was a friend of mine. The last time I saw Joshua, I talked to him about healing and deliverance. One of the times previous to that, I preached last year at a pastor's conference. And I stepped off the platform and went back to my seat. And Josh came and grabbed me and he prayed like fire, like his dad. And he, he started prophesying in my ear. And I'll never forget what he said. And he died of a, a brain bleed not long ago. 
But you can find Josh's story online, and I know people have criticized it, but I'm just telling you, I knew the boy, and he was amazing. But he was caught in a lifestyle of homosexuality. And his dad told me years ago that they, uh, they, they he told him, he said, I love you, man. Always be with, always come around. Don't distance yourself from me. And he said, but they started praying for him. And he asked some of his pastor friends, will you help me pray for my son? And one of them said, I will, but you need a game plan because God's going to set him free. So they got a game plan in order. And he said he was frequenting some, some interesting places. And one night they were at a church and they got a cell phone call. It's from him. And he said, I want to be want to be free. So they sent him to a friend who had a church outside of town somewhere. Josh said, I went to that church and I was going to meet with the pastor who led him through deliverance and getting his life clean and breaking bondages in his life. He was waiting to meet the pastor in one of those meetings. He said, I'm sitting in the foyer of a church and a young lady walks by. And the Lord said, there's your wife. Her name was Carrie. The beautiful kids and a beautiful life together. And the world will tell you there's no going back. You're born this way. There's no freedom. I'm telling you, that's not Bible. There's freedom. There's freedom in Christ. Josh became a powerful Holy Ghost preacher, became a powerful prayer leader. And uh, unfortunately, he died too young. But there's freedom. Come on, there's freedom in Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. Come on, lift your hands with me and just thank God for freedom. Hallelujah. I don't know what kind of thing you're coming out, maybe, uh, coming out of or what the Lord's been ringing in your spirit as I've been preaching. I don't know what, what's happening in your spirit, but I know I feel the Holy Ghost right now. And I know there's healing for brokenness in here. I know there's healing for brokenness in here right now. Come on, I want everybody to stand in this house right now. Come on, Garland, the guys are going to sing worship music, and we're going to open this thing up for an altar call right now. I love you, and I'll see you guys next week. I'm going to turn it over to the pastors, but I love you. Come on, let God do something powerful in your life today. Hey, I'm Hans Hess. Thank you so much for watching today, and I just pray that this service has been a great blessing to you. Listen, many of you out there have needs. You have needs physically. You want healing in your body or you have uh, oppression or anxiety you're dealing with or, or the weight of an addiction or sin in your life. Whatever the issue is, you know, Jesus can handle it. And I want to pray for you today before we leave here and just believe God for the best in your life. You're a winner in Christ. I've read the end of the book and we win in the end. So pray with me this brief prayer. Come on, mean it with all of your heart. Father, in Jesus' name, forgive me of all my sin and wash it away. Heal my body. Touch my mind, Lord. Bring total freedom to me today, Lord. In the name of Jesus, I pray. And if you said that, you can say amen. And you know what? Each time a sports team wins a victory, they always have a celebration. So why don't go ahead right where you are and just thank God and give God some praise. Thanks for joining us. Stay in contact with us. 
and uh, come back and visit us.